Uh, to start today, I want you to turn to Luke 21. Luke 21. Luke 21, verses 25 through 28. Luke 21, verses 25 through 28. You guys can look along, or you can listen carefully. I want to start with this. That's what it says. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples about, about the destruction of the temple, but also the things that would come at the end. Look at, what he, look at what he says. Start with verse 25. Luke 21, verses 25 through 28. He says, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and when they will see, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I especially want you to listen to this verse. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I'm kind of drawn to the last few weeks of our study in Revelation, and, and sometimes when I'm talking to people about about Revelation, or we're talking about, say, the end of all things, uh, they, they seem to get, have a sense of, of foreboding or fear or, or uh, a, a, just sort of a cloudy and, a, and a, a gloominess over it. I think that that's understandable because uh, the, when we read and say in the book of Revelation or throughout the scriptures about uh, some of the difficulties that, that Christians will face or some of the, the, uh, the, the hard things that will come on the earth and, and we hear the, Jesus Christ telling, to us, telling us, uh, hold fast and endure and, and conquer and, 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 and hold, hold tight to the gospel and don't give in to false teaching. You hear all these things and, and we understand that endurance means that there is hardship ahead and there's a certain sense of, of, yeah, that we don't want to go through hard things. But if that's all that we think about, or if that is primarily what we think about, then we're kind of missing, we are missing the message of Revelation. The message of Revelation is not things are going to get hard and we want you to be sad about that or be fearful of that. The message is, Things are going to be hard, but your Savior is coming. Your redemption is coming. He will come and he will save you. And, and it's, like, it's like when, when a woman starts to, starts to go into labor and the contractions start uh, very far apart and they, they gradually get closer and closer. The closer the, the contractions get, uh, the more intense they get, the more pain there is. And yet that's also the closer you get to the joy of a new life coming into the world that's what we're seeing that's what we're seeing in the book of revelation that's what we're we're hoping for i want you today when you when, you, when we look at at revelation 19 when we look at at god's word this is what i hope you'll sense we don't have anything to fear about what's ahead we don't have anything to fear about uh, the powers of the world or, or the distresses that are coming on the world or the, the, the pressure or the temptation that we might face. We don't have anything to fear. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He's coming for us. He's coming to redeem us. And, and the more that we see it, the more we see the, the contractions, the birth pains getting closer and closer together, 
the more we need to straighten up and lift up our heads and see that Jesus Christ is coming for us. We'll start there, but we're going to spend our time today in Revelation 19. Revelation 19. Turn your Bibles there. What I want you to see first is the rider on the white horse. The rider on the white horse. Revelation 19, we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. The rider on the white horse. Pick up there, this is what it says. Revelation 19, 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the final coming or a vision of the final coming of, of Jesus Christ, the final battle, the final war. And you see, see heaven open coming from the, the presence of God, uh, a white horse. And we've seen this symbol in the book of Revelation before. Some of the white horse is a symbol of conquest. So way back and we were first looking at uh, what are called the seven seals. There was a, the first horse that came out. It was a white horse. It was a, it was a, a conqueror. But this is, not, this is not Alexander the Great. This is not Genghis Khan. This is Jesus Christ. This is the, the final battle. This is the final battle of the last war. And Jesus Christ is the final conqueror. He's the one who comes on the white horse. He's the one riding on the white horse. He's the one coming to save. He's the one coming to deliver. The one sitting is called faithful and true. All the things that Jesus said that he would do, he does. This is what faithfulness is. We say, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Do what you say you're going to do. Jesus does that more than anybody else he does that to perfection what what Jesus said when he said that he would come for us when he said that that they would see him coming and they would say bless is the one who comes in the name of the Lord when they when he talked about his return when he talked about his resurrection he is the he is the faithful one he's the true one Jesus speaks no falsehood I think when we're thinking about just our daily difficulties or maybe even the more intense difficulties that come with, uh, on almost all of us at some point. Is God faithful? Is he going to watch over me? Jesus Christ is faithful and true. Jesus Christ watches over us. Jesus Christ cares for us. He is concerned over us and he rescues us. He is the righteous one. He, in righteousness, he judges and makes war. But later on, we're going to see that, that he is also called the Word of God. That is, he is the, the revelation of God. So, Jesus Christ is the way that we know the grace of God. The grace of God demonstrated in the cross. 
How do we know that God loves us? How do we know that God is gracious toward us? How do we know that God is favorable toward us? Well, we see that in the the revelation of Jesus Christ and the word of God who took on our flesh and then went to the cross and died in our place. How do we know that God is merciful? God saw us. He saw the way that we were suffering in sin, the way that we were in bondage to sin, the way that we were headed for destruction, and he saw our suffering, and he had mercy on us. And we see that in the way that Jesus treats those who are, who are hurting. But it says in Isaiah, Jesus speaks about himself. He doesn't crush the bruised reed. He doesn't snuff out the smoldering wick. He doesn't take those who are, who are, who are falling and fainting and smash them. Instead, he, he takes them and he cares for them. We see the revelation of God. We see the word of God in Jesus Christ. At the same time, we see the justice of God revealed in Jesus Christ. God is just. He's the very standard of what it means to be just and righteous. And the way that we know what justice looks like is we see it in Jesus Christ. In his first coming, but here in his second coming. We see the justice of God. In John 5, Jesus says that the Father has handed into the hands of the Son judgment. Jesus Christ is the one who judges. And here you see Jesus comes. He comes to judge and to make war. And In fact, his judgment is his war. It is the way that he makes war. He comes in judgment on those who are unbelieving on those who are wrongdoers on those who are wicked on those who have not trusted in him who have rejected him who have rejected God who have rejected their creator you even see the the continuation of just kind of this symbolism of his his power to judge and his flaming eyes his eyes flame like fire see first in the burning bush later on we see it said in Hebrews 12 our God is a consuming fire Right there in the eyes of Jesus Christ, is a, he is a consuming fire. Consuming in those who believe, consuming all of our impurity, and those who are still hardened against him, consuming them in righteousness. On his head he has many diadems, that is many crowns, many Many, many, he rules over many kingdoms. One of the things that we see, saw uh, with the beast and with Satan was that they, the, the symbols there, they, they wore a lot of crowns. They, they pretended to the kind of power that only Jesus Christ has. But here is Jesus Christ wearing many crowns. And his crowns are not taken away. His crowns are his forever. It's these many crowns because he rules over all the kings of the earth. He rules over all the beastly kingdoms of the earth. That is, all those that pretend to power, all those who raise, up, raise themselves up in pride. And he also rules over the kingdom of priests that he has ransomed for himself. So early in the book of Revelation, he talks about us being a kingdom or kings and priests to Jesus Christ, to God. Kings and priests who reign with Jesus Christ. But he's the one who rules. He wears all these crowns. All the crowns of all the kingdoms of all time and all places all over the earth He wears them all. They're his. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. This is probably one of the more difficult parts of this that I found to be satisfied with. But I think this is the best explanation. In the ancient world, a person's name represented their nature. And so that's one of the reasons why back in chapter 2, 
uh, when Jesus says, I'll give you a new name, same way they gave Abraham a new name or he gave uh, Jacob a new name, called him Israel. The way that he gave them new names, he was identifying their, their nature or who they were. But also in the ancient world, there was this idea that if you knew a person's name, you kind of had some kind of power over them. You could sort of use their name against them. Who knows Jesus Christ's name? Who has power over Jesus Christ? One of the things I was just reading in my Bible reading this past week was that scenario where Jesus goes in and he faces the man who is a a demon-possessed man. And he says, he's speaking to the demon, he says, what's your name? Because Jesus Christ has the power to pull from him and take his name and power over that demon. But who has a power over Jesus Christ? No one. No one has power over Jesus Christ. He is the preeminent one. He is the all-powerful one. He is the one who rules over all. You look there in verse 13. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. That robe dipped in blood, blood is often a symbol of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. See that earlier, that, that those, who are, uh, those who are God's people are those who have washed their, their robes or washed their, themselves in the blood of the Lamb. But here the blood is, is probably not his own blood, but the blood of his enemies. If you want, you can listen here, or you can flip back yourself to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. Listen to what this says. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimsoned garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteous, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like, he, like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. John is taking this and applying this, which is the Lord speaking, Yahweh speaking, God speaking. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the agent of salvation. He is the king who comes and, and treads down those who are his enemies, treads down those who are against his people. From uh, with him is his army. It says they're arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. Now this could be uh, angels, but most of the time in the book of Revelation, those who are talked about as being fitted out or, or clothed in fine linen is the church. The church is coming with Jesus Christ. And we remember what, what it says in Revelation 1, that we are constituted as a, a kingdom of priests. We're wearing priestly garments. We even remember what... Uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, that we will judge the angels, that we sit on the throne in Jesus Christ or with Jesus Christ. 
We are seated right now with him. Where Jesus Christ is, we, by our union with him, through faith, we're with him. And so when he comes, we come with him. We come as his army. We come as a part of his triumph. We, we are those who are bought by him. We're a part of his prize. We're his reward. We're his portion. We're also his army coming with him, coming to reign with him. Our crowns are his crowns. We come to rule and to reign with him and to judge with him. Now then, it says that out of his mouth is a sharp war, or sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. This comes from Isaiah 11. It says that he rules them with a rod of iron from his mouth. In uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, it talks about Jesus Christ coming and destroying the man of lawlessness. That is the, the, the kings of the earth or these beastly kings the last beast of the king, the, slaying them with the breath of his mouth. The same way that God spoke the world into being. Jesus Christ speaks judgment and blows people away. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That comes, comes from Psalm 2, where the nations are rising up against God's anointed one. That is, against God's king, against God's Messiah. And Jesus, Jesus is that Messiah, and God laughs at them. Because God has established his king. And so he rules the nations with a rod of iron. As we already saw back in chapter 16, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. He will tread on his enemies. He, his, his garments are spattered with blood because he is treading them out. He is treading them out in judgment. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There are other kings. There have been other kings. There have been Pharaohs and Nebuchadnezzars and, and Neros. And there are also the, the kingdom of priests. There are those who, who rule with Jesus Christ and who have thrones to sit on themselves. But Jesus Christ is King of all kings. Jesus Christ is Lord of all lords. You look at you know, we're just looking at a couple of paragraphs today. Look at how much of it is taken up with just a description of who Jesus Christ is. The, to, to instill confidence in God's people. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? He's the faithful and true one. He's the word of God. No one has power over him. His eyes are a consuming fire. Do you know who he is? Don't be afraid. He's coming to rescue you. He's coming to save. He's, he's bringing his redemption. No one, no one stands against him. He just treads right over them. He walks right over them. Jesus Christ comes. All of our confidence about what will happen in the future and about our salvation is centered on the character of one man. One man who is both God and man. Jesus Christ. He comes. He comes and he saves. If we look out and we see, we think that we don't, we, we don't see God working, or we don't see God saving, our confidence is in one man, Jesus Christ. The mediator between God and men. The one who is in his very being everything that God is, and yet he took on our flesh and he dwelt among us. This is our Jesus. This is our Savior. This is our Christ, our King. 
There's one last thing it says at the end of Psalm 2. It says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. That is, kiss the ring, offer a homage, submit yourself, pledge your loyalty to Jesus Christ as king. Bow down before him. Throw your crowns at his feet. That's what we need to do. That's the, when we look at Jesus Christ, that is, that is when we see him, when we are awakened to see him. I, 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 I thought about that, that verse today that we just sang. Awake my soul and sing. When our, when our souls are awakened to who Jesus Christ is, we kiss his ring. We pledge our loyalty to him. We pledge our faithfulness to him. We trust him. We submit to him. He's our king. No king who sees who Jesus Christ really is tries to wear his own crown and tries to rule things on his own. We trust Christ. We find our hope in him. We pledge our our fealty, our loyalty, our faithfulness to him. We've seen the rider on the white horse. Next we see the summons to the great supper. Just a couple of verses, verses 17 and 18. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. There have been a lot of troubling visions in the book of Revelation. But this is the most macabre. This is the most ghastly, ghoulish one, isn't it? The, this is the summons from God. He says, come for your meal, all you vultures and buzzards, all you that, that, that feast on carrion, come get your supper. Now remember, in the, just last week we looked at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed is the one who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You are blessed, you are fortunate, you are privileged, you are, you are the happy ones that you are invited to come and feast with, with the bridegroom, with Jesus Christ. You're there to celebrate with him. You're both the bride and the guest. You get to enjoy everything, all the good things that God has to give, all the ways that he intends to lavish his kindness to, on us. This is ours in Jesus Christ. If we're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, we're there. We're going we're gonna to have entrance into that party, into that feast, into that, that, that wonderful place where we enjoy all the all good people and, and good food and most of all the one that our soul loves. But there's not just one feast, there are two feasts. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb and there's the great supper of God. And there are only two kinds of people. And they either feast at the marriage supper or they are the feast at the great supper of God. This is the kind of, this is the kind of bifurcation. This is the kind of dichotomy that John is so clearly making. There are only two people, two kinds of people. There are only two destinies. There are only two suppers. There are only two cities. There are only two women. Will you be at the marriage supper of the Lamb or Will you be the feast of the buzzards and the vultures? 
in the ancient world, it was, it was a shameful thing not to be buried. It was a sign that you were cursed by God. It was a sign of total devastation. Look at what Jesus does, what, what God does. Gather, he, he speaks to all the birds, all the, all the vultures, all the buzzards. Gather for the great supper to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, those kings and those captains, those great men. Those great men who won battles. The Nebuchadnezzars, the Alexander the Greats, the Napoleons, the, the great men, the great leaders, the great captains. They're devastated. They're cursed by God. They're left out to be eaten. You see, their armies, the fleshes of, of the men, the great army, and all the, all the horses and their riders. That's, you can kind of think of that as like, we read about chariots and horses and riders and even bronze and iron weapons in the Old Testament or in the Scriptures. Think of those as like the equivalent of military technology. You can take all your tanks, all your, all your helicopters, uh, they all get picked apart at the Great Supper of God. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what power, what military power you have. It's nothing against God. It's nothing in battle against Jesus Christ. All the flesh of men, and then he says, the flesh of men, both free and slave, both small and great. So you think about the, the great men. No matter how great they were, they have no resistance to give against Jesus Christ. They have no way of, of, of saving themselves or protecting themselves. It's also the same that no one is so small and insignificant that they get overlooked by Jesus Christ. You know people might even be a person like this or might sometimes be a person like this. You kind of try to stay small and, and go under the radar. You think anybody goes under the radar with Jesus Christ? You know, maybe one of the easiest things to do is to go to church, be a good, decent, moral human being and hope that you're just going to be a decent sort of chap and, and fly under the radar. Jesus Christ sees all. And so now, there's not very much time. That's what Jesus Christ keeps saying. There's, there's, no, there's no knowing when the end comes. There's not much time. Time now is to decide, will I go to be with Jesus Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb? To enter into his blessing, to enter into his happiness, to enter into his joy. Or am I to be buzzard bait? And uh, am I to be the leftovers on the battlefield? Trust Christ. Know him as your savior and not as your judge. Know him as your champion and not as your conqueror. Last thing that we'll look at is the devastation of the beastly army. 
verse 19. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who is sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had, had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. All the, the beasts, so this is the same beast that is back in Revelation 13. That is, who is the, the head or the king of this beastly state or this beastly government that, is, that raises itself up, pretends to be this, this kind of Christ, this kind of king. It's a false messiah gathers together all the kings who are in service to it and gathers together all the, the kingdoms and their, their armies and gathers them all together. You know, sometimes I, I read history or, 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 or listen to history or, or listen, to, uh, sometimes it's even about battles, it's about military history. And you know, when you're listening to it, you, you hear about all these generals and their commanders and they're, you know, they're, they're moving toward this area and they're taking this ridge and they're, they're using this tactic and they're, they're setting up defensive positions here. And, and you kind of see all of that uh, and, and you hear, you kind of expect all that. But look at, look at what happens on the battlefield. Look at verse 19. They all gather and then the transition from to verse 20 is, and the beast was captured. Like no, no maneuver, no like they set up in this valley, no like they, that Jesus Christ uh, did a pincer movement and got in behind them or, or encompassed them. Jesus struck them down with the breath of his mouth. He took the sword of his mouth and he conquered them. He spoke and they were laid flat. The beast is captured. And... The one who's called the false prophet here, who's the second beast in chapter 13. These two beasts, they're, they're captured. The beast was the one who had persecuted God's people. He was a, he was a Pharaoh. He was a Nebuchadnezzar. He was a Nero. He was, he was one who, who called for what only Christ can call for. And when Christians refused to bow down, he slayed them. And there are all kinds of beastly kingdoms and beastly leaders that come and go throughout the, the course of history. But here at the end, the beast is captured. The false prophet is the one who put the pressure on, pressured people to take on the mark of the beast, that is, that they would pledge themselves to the beast, they would belong to the beast. And when... God's people in the time of John and, and different times, when they refuse to bow down, they get shut out of commerce, they get shut out of, of being merchants, they get shut out of, of their livelihoods, and they're, they're brought down into, into poverty. Chapter 13 is kind of scary. We should definitely be on guard. We ought not be afraid. Look at what happens to the beast and to the false prophet in the end. Look what happens. This is the message. This is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of, of, of these people. They're just men. All they can do is kill the body. All they can do is take away some of your goods. 
But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is your Savior. Jesus Christ is, is the warrior. Jesus Christ is, is the divine king. He captures them, throws them into the lake of fire. This burning, choking judgment. And then he strikes down the rest, all the rest of the army. Just like dominoes, just laid flat, destroyed with the breath of his mouth, with the sword that comes from his mouth. Raise up your heads. Lift, lift yourself up. Your Savior comes. Jesus Christ comes to redeem. Jesus Christ comes to save. Things, things, get, things vary in, in hardship from place to place and from time to time, as they did in the time of John. Some, place, some, some Roman provinces had great difficulties and some didn't. Some, some, some decades it was really hard and some decades it wasn't. Right now, on, in some places on earth, it's hard, very hard to be a Christian. In some places, it's not. Some places in the future, it may be hard to be, hard to be a Christian. In some places, it may not be. These things will rise and fall. And we should be aware. We should be on guard. We should be sober-minded. We should be ready to endure. We should hold on to Christ. But we should not do it as those who despair. We should do it as those who have hope. Knowing that Jesus Christ comes to redeem. Jesus Christ comes to save. He is our hope. Focus your eyes on the rider on the white horse. Focus your eyes on him who has the eyes of flaming fire. Focus your eyes on him who is the word of God. Focus your eyes on him who is faithful and true. Focus on him who no, no one has any power over. He's our Christ. He's our king. He's our bridegroom. He's our divine warrior. And he comes to save. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, uh, please grant that we would kiss the sun, that we would pledge our undying loyalty to him as king, so that we might live in his kingdom. That we would do much more than bow our heads, but that we would bow our hearts and our lives. That with our whole being, we would commit ourselves to Jesus Christ. That we would trust in him. We would not, we would not be cowed by the mighty ones that we would not be tempted by the seductive ones, but that we would put our trust in the true one, in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.